0: Hey, everyone. It's really, really, really good to see you all. Um, for those of you who don't know, my mom passed away yesterday. And I'd spent the last eight days with her as she was in a coma. Melissa, can you stick the picture up? I just want to show you guys a picture of my mama. And before I get into the talk on forgiveness, I want to talk a little bit about her so that's my mom. Um, she had Alzheimer's when this picture was taken. And that's my 20-year-old son, who I think is her favorite person in the world. So I just wanted to show you guys my mom. Um, so you can take it down. She died yesterday after a, a year-long battle with Alzheimer's. She went within a year from being able to pay her own bills to totally incontinent in a wheelchair, not not knowing anything in one year, but she always recognized me and she was always happy to see me. A little over a year ago, January 1st of 2022, she fell and hit her head and she went to the hospital and I picked her up from the hospital and I went back to her apartment and she asked me to touch the lump. And I almost couldn't do it. I just didn't want to touch her. I didn't have that kind of relationship with her where I felt close enough where I could do something like that. It was like asking me to like touch a stranger in an intimate way. And I just thought, um, and I talked to my therapist about it and I have a really good therapist. And she said, you know, you don't have a closeness with your mom and it's not your fault. It's, you know, kind of, how you were raised, your mom was busy putting her attention, you know, elsewhere and didn't give you enough attention. And I really love my therapist. And on this one, I just felt I want to do something. So I did the steps. Um, I had looked at before, that I had a resentment against my mom because she wanted me to spend time with her, a natural thing. I usually just saw her once a week. She moved up from Florida to New Jersey to be near me. Well, really be near my kids. Um, and I'd see her once a week and I was always very kind to her. So she would never suspect that I was dreading spending time with her. So I remember I had done an inventory on it, put it on, like, I resent my mom because she wants me to spend a lot of time with her. And I said to my sponsor, you know, I don't think I have a part because I'm I'm spending time with her. I'm very kind to her. And she said, if you have a resentment, you have a part. And she said, How about this? I think I shouldn't have to do things I don't want to do. And it was like a dagger in my heart. And then I looked at what are my what's my defect? And I said, selfish. So I decided I didn't want to be like that. So I went to God and I really, I prayed and I just said, God, I need a change of heart. Please give me a new heart. And, um, all I can say is he just did. The next time I went over to her apartment, um, I was like hugging her and kissing her and just felt warmly. And then the week after that, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So thank God for this program, because I cannot imagine having gone through this past year, if God hadn't transformed my heart, I'm not talking about making it a little better. It's like he took out my old heart and gave me a brand new heart. And so I would be able to go and see my mom and hug her and kiss her. And um, these past eight days, she, last Saturday, she went into, I guess it was like a coma. She was just non-responsive on her bed and we had hospice there. So there's no hospital. She was just on morphine. And for eight days, I was able to stay with her, not nonstop, but every day for hours by her side, um, singing to her, praying over her, just sitting and reading a book and holding her hand while I was reading a book. Um, and that is what this program does for people like us. And I was thinking, you know, there are a couple times in the past year where she went to the hospital because she fell, and, you know, she was staying at a facility where if you fall, they have to take you to the hospital, even if you're fine. And there were a couple of times I didn't go with her. I just like, didn't want to sit all day in a hospital, like for nothing. And I felt really bad about that. Like I should have gone and that haunted me. And a couple days ago, I was thinking not connected to that, um, like, God, why is this taking so long? It's like, she said all her goodbyes to everyone. My kids got on and the phone and said goodbye. My son offered to drive up from Virginia. She said her, goodby- you know, they said their goodbyes. Everything was in order. And then I just felt maybe it wasn't for her. Maybe it was for me that God was giving me a chance to make amends to her because this time I was there. Um, that's the God that we have. Um, God gave me a chance when I was willing to make amends, he put the opportunity there. And so I just want to, um, read you, I wrote a little tribute to her that I just posted on my Facebook page, but, um, So just to read it to you, and then I want to just continue talking about forgiveness, because if I didn't work on forgiving, and it wasn't even that there was really anything to forgive. It was just my selfishness. If I didn't work on resolving resentments, this past year would have been a nightmare. And instead, I got to be a daughter for a year. And even though she had Alzheimer's, she was my mom more than she ever was before. But this is who my mom was. My mom Gloria passed away this morning after a battle with Alzheimer's. She was a woman who loved sacrificially and lived to serve others. Her passions included her grandchildren, the community library that she managed and knitting. Hundreds of newborn babies in New Jersey are clothed with her hats and mittens. My mom was a kindergarten teacher before she retired after which she fearlessly nursed my dad through Parkinson's. She spent her last years up in New Jersey so she could be near her grandkids. I love you mama. And I'll see you again when my work here is done. So that's my mom. Um, I didn't want to just come on the day after she died without doing a little tribute to her. The funeral is going to be in Florida. It's going to be very small. Just my me, my husband, my two kids and my sister and her husband. But now I feel like I got to share my mom with, with you, with my, with my spiritual family. So thank you for allowing me to do this. Um, And I want to talk about forgiveness. Um, I know Melissa talked about step four on Thursday, but I want to just go a little deeper. in. And one of the good things about this being um, a standalone workshop is that we're allowed to bring in outside material and outside things. So um, on page 66 of the big book, it tells us that resentments are fatal. They lead to our demise because they cut us off from the sunlight of the spirit, right? Imagine a plant cut off from sunlight. That's me if I hold on to resentment. Um, so again, the book talks about it, but there are just some things I'd read in the through the years that were just really helpful to me. So I thought I'd pass them on. And unlike the big book where we have to really take it all, this is really a take what you want and leave the rest. Um, so here's just like 10 points that I've mashed together from the big book, a book called the way to power and poise by E. Stanley Jones, whose work was studied by the founders of AA. Um, So the first thing, look at why we're angry. We all do those check marks, right? As to what's affected. And that's generally the easiest column to fill out, but it deserves some thought because the basis of most resentments, according to E. Stanley Jones, is an unsurrendered self. The fact that I have a resentment shows that there's part of me that's oversensitive And it's because my will isn't 100% surrendered to the will of God. Um, And then I love what he says. When surrendered to the will of God, we throw off resentments as healthy skin throws off disease germs. Unless there's a cut in the skin, the disease germs don't get in. So I started thinking about this regarding um, the column in our resentment inventories where we make the check marks. Like if we say our self-esteem is affected, That means I haven't surrendered to God, the demand that others think about me a certain way. If I had, it wouldn't bother me so much. What anyone else said or thought about me wouldn't affect my self-esteem because I wouldn't care so much. Ambitions. If I fully surrendered, let's say my career to God, for example, it wouldn't matter so much if someone else got that promotion and not me. I would know that like it says on page 63 of the big book, We have a new employer, employer with a capital E. He provides all I need if I stay close to him and perform his work well. I had a a clear example of that one time. I was working at a job where I felt their values were such that I couldn't continue to work there. So I took another job, but it was less money. It was $15,000 a year less. And back then that was like a lot, a lot of money. and. What happened is right at that time, my parents decided that as part of their estate planning, they were going to give me $18,000 a year. So I was getting the money, but not through my employer with a small E. My employer with a capital E just made another channel to give me the money um, because I was trying to do his will and not work at a place that I thought was displeasing to him. And you know, I have to remember also that step four comes after step three for a reason. I have the courage to do this often painful moral inventory, because by this point, I should believe in a God who's loving, who's powerful, and who cares about me. Like I know God's got my back. Um, Same thing with personal sex relationships and security. If something or someone threatens them, I have to look to see where I haven't fully surrendered my rights to something. Now, I qualify this by saying this is the basis of most resentments. I want to just be clear. If someone has violence committed against her, I would never tell that person, your problem is lack of surrender. Not then. Um, Number two, something we can do is realizing the other person is perhaps spiritually sick. The big book says, um, this, I believe gets misused. A lot of times we say, well, my part is to realize the other person is spiritually sick. Uh, uh. I mean, on my bad days, I could probably label mother Teresa as spiritually sick, but what about the time someone isn't as spiritually developed as I would have liked, um, sometimes it's helpful to say this person is spiritually developing just like me. And it's always helpful to look at their story, their upbringing. So for instance, my dad yelled a lot when I was a kid, he worked a lot of hours and he yelled a lot. But if I dig deep, if I walk a mile in his shoes, I realize, which the truth that my dad was physically abused by his father who didn't always have a job. So my dad worked two jobs and he only yelled. I mean, that's major progress for my dad. And in God's eyes, he might very well be a saint. So I always have to look and walk a mile in their shoes. Um, it's helpful to remember there's a little bit of good in the worst of us and a little bit of bad in the best of us. And here's a point that I find. helpful. Lord, this person is an infinitely precious child of yours and a spiritually developing person with flaws, just like me. Please help me to relate to them with both truths in mind so that I can always love, always forgive, and have boundaries. And since we're talking about realizing the other person is perhaps spiritually sick or spiritually developing, again, I, I want to say that forgiveness doesn't mean. I have to be in a relationship with someone who's so spiritually sick that they're abusive. If someone is abusive, I need to forgive them on the basis that they're not spiritually well, but I don't need to be in any kind of relationship with them. Number three, we never stop by just saying that the other person is spiritually sick and leave it there. It says we resolutely look for our part in the resentment. And our part isn't just there's this spiritually sick person down in the valley. So me up on my mountaintop, will just pray for them. Um, so again, my sponsor says to replace the word spiritually said with human, just like me. So human or spiritually developing. Um, but I have to really see my part. If someone was nasty to me, was I nasty to that person first? If one of my kids is undisciplined, Is my part that I was selfish and lazy and teaching them the right things? If I'm angry at how someone else is acting, is my part that I think I have a right to control what others think or do or say? I have found that most of my resentments melt away when I see my part. And for me, my part is often that I simply want others to think, say, or do what I want them to. So for example, that... um. My mom was in a coma for eight days. And then today I went and I cleaned out her apartment. Um, I have one sibling. She didn't come up for eight days. She wasn't there. And I started thinking, gosh, she left this to me. She left it all to me. And then I have to think, okay, what's my part? And I say, my part is what my sister does is not my business. I'm in the world to play the role that God assigns me. So my role was to take care of my mom. And then I tried to look at it another way that if she's doing less, that means I have to do more self-sacrifice. And the more self-sacrifice I do, the more I'm growing spiritually. So in some weird kind of way, she's given me a gift. Um, Let's say we do all this and we still have a resentment. Are there other things we can do? Um, yes. Number four, we have to make up our minds that in this world, things aren't fair. We're not going to escape injustice and pain. The big book talks about certain trials and low spots and tells us what to do when, not if, trouble comes. It doesn't say we'll never have troubles. So if we believe that because we've given our lives to God, our lives will be free, we're going to end up in trouble. Um, The book tells us what to do when trouble comes. We cheerfully capitalize on trouble as a chance for God to show his omnipotence. That means we continue to do the right thing, trust God, and wait for the miracles. Because if I'm trying to take everything in my hands, I've really tied God's hands. Number five, we can pray for those who harm us. Um, E. Stanley Jones says, by praying for those who wrong us, the resentment is sterilized by the antiseptic of prayer. And he advises us to pray first, as soon as we feel the first tinge of a resentment. And this makes sense, right? If we try to do an inventory without bringing God into it, it's just psychology. Um, Number six, we can go beyond prayer. So the big book says, we ask God to show us how we can be helpful to the person who hurt us. We can do good to those who hurt us. Can we bring the garbage cans in for the neighbor who we don't like? Um, When my son was a teenager, there were some rough years. And I remember um, I would go out to Dunkin' Donuts to get myself a latte. And sometimes through gritted teeth, I would ask him if I could bring him back one as well do something nice for someone we're angry at. Um, The best example I can think of, there's a, it was a book and a movie, true story called, I think it was called The End of the Spear. And it was about missionaries in South America. And as soon as they got off the plane to um, a country, I think they were, I don't know the right way to say it, but people like uncivil, I don't know if that's like, politically incorrect but people who like didn't speak language you know just were um just war like tribal people and immediately when these missionaries got off the plane they were killed by the tribal people they didn't get a chance to say a word they were killed and their wives went back to these tribal people who were suffering an outbreak of polio at the time and they nursed them back to health Remember in our book, in the chapter of the family afterwards, page 127, it says, we can help another person's crankiness, their bad feelings disappear if we show love and spiritual understanding. Number seven, we can forgive on the basis that God has forgiven us. We can think about what God has done for us. Um, here's a quote I read. Think of the thousand times a day God manifests his love and faithfulness to you. As you think of his love for you, a feeling of humble gratitude will spring up within you. As you experience gratitude to God for all he's done in your life, you will realize that people around you need to be treated with love and patience, just as God has treated you. Since God has been so patient with you, how can you be critical and impatient toward others? God has patiently led you to a deeper understanding of this truth. He has waited for your lagging understanding and faltering faith to catch up. So really, how are we going to respond to others whose understanding and faith are a bit behind ours? What we are not to do. um, The Big Book cautions me against harboring resentments. I always thought that's an interesting word, harbor. Like it reminds me of a place where a ship can be safe in a storm. How do I make myself a safe harbor for resentments so anger and hate feel comfortable living in me? Number eight, we are not to review them over and over in our minds or review them over and over with other people under the guise of getting help or asking people to pray for the person when what we're really trying to do is get people to agree with us that that other person is a louse. Um, We're building our harbor. So the best thing to do is to tell one person and ideally someone who doesn't know the person that we resent. Tim Keller, one of my favorite spiritual authors, says, if we're angry with someone, we don't need to vent. We need to repent. So before we call each other to talk about, you know, our lousy husbands, our rotten kids, our unfair bosses, we need to do our resentment inventories and pray. Number nine, we avoid retaliation and argument. Um, The big book makes it clear avoiding retaliation is an essential ingredient in the cocktail of forgiveness. When someone wrongs us, there's this unavoidable sense that the other person owes us, like they've incurred a debt. And we want to make that person pay that debt. We do it by hurting them back, by yelling at them, by getting passive aggressive and making them feel bad in some way, um, or just waiting and watching and hoping something bad will happen to them. Only after we see them suffer in some way, do we feel like the debt has been paid. So what's forgiveness? Forgiveness means I give up my right to seek repayment from the one who harmed me. Forgiveness means we give up the right to revenge either here or in the hereafter. Um, As I mentioned, you know, I, my dad had yelled a lot and I was, um, it was hard for me to forgive. And I realized, okay, I was being nice, but I was hoping that after he died, God was going to get him on my behalf. And so what I did is I went to God and I said. God whatever he did to me and all he did was yell he was he was a great dad he just had a he just had a bit of a temper um i said whatever he did to me don't hold it against him when you judge him and i didn't feel it at the time at the time i it was like don't hold him against don't hold it against him when you judge him but i really hope you do but i said it i did it with my will And eventually my emotions caught up. And now the only time I ever think about like my dad or anything bad he did is if I'm using it to help someone else. Now I remember the good things he did, like when I was trying to parallel park into this tight parking spot, him encouraging me or just the love of reading he instilled in me and how much he adored my children. I don't remember any of that stuff. God's just like taking an eraser to parts of my memory that I don't need to have. Number 10, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience we would cheerfully grant a a sick friend. That means, of course, we don't express ourselves or vent in order to feel better. Um, E. Stanley Jones tells of a woman who was really angry at her husband and said, I think I'd feel good if I could just once tell my husband to go to hell. And his comment was, perhaps she would have been relieved momentarily, but the resentment would fill up again and be ready for another spillover. Expression is not the remedy to just express it. It's just dealing with the symptom instead of the disease. Um, What does it mean to have tolerance, pity, and patience? right? I love how Melissa defined tolerance. My own threshold to withstand pain or sorrow is raised. It means I stop being so easily offended. And I want to say a few things about like forgiving myself. People ask, should I put myself on my resentment inventory? Big book doesn't address it. But if I resent myself, it's because I've done something wrong. And so I need to admit it ask God to remove the defect and make my amends. And then I'm forgiven. It's really awkward to do a resentment inventory on myself. Let's say I'd say I resent myself because I yelled at my kids. It affects my, well, it's weird. What's my part? Well, I yelled at my kids. That's what I said. So it doesn't work. To me, it's better to just go to God and say, I yelled at my kids. You know, I was unkind. Please forgive me and remove the defect of unkindness. And then make my amends. Um, sometimes people say they have more trouble forgiving themselves than they do accepting God's forgiveness, that they can't, they can forgive others, but they can't forgive themselves. But what really lies behind this idea of I can't forgive myself? Um, according to Tim Keller, when a person says I can't forgive myself, it's really an indication of pride, because we're in essence saying, that my judgment is more accurate than God's judgment. When we say, I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. We're acting as if our own judgment holds more weight than God's. The big book is clear. If we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven. So we confess our shortcomings to another person and to God. We ask God to remove the defects, we make the amends, and then that's it. We're forgiven. And then that frees us to just go to be useful. Whenever I talk about resentment, I always like to close with what I think is the strongest story of forgiveness um, by Corey Ten Boom. So I want to just read it to you. Those of you who've heard it before, um, here it is again. I personally could hear this story many, many times because it's um, to me, it just typifies what forgiveness is and what I strive to be like. Um, it was in a church in Munich that I first saw him, a balding heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives us. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said... God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their coats, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones it came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor the shame of walking naked past this man i could see my sister's frail form ahead of me ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin betsy how thin you were Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, who sins, had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, God says, neither will your father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the soul. God help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart for a long moment. We grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's always my hope that I want to be able to forgive the way Corey 10 boom did. And, um, just thank you all for being here. i I needed to be here and be be back with all you guys. I, I've missed you over the past you know week and a half. and I hope that something I said was helpful. And with that, I'll pass thanks.